Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. In yesterday's program, I turned to some very clear scripture in the Gospels of Mark and Matthew showing how Jesus did indeed claim to be the Messiah of Israel. Now that we have established the claims of Jesus, let's see if his claims are in fact true. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah the prophet predicted that the Messiah would die for Israel's sin and then rise from the dead. Other prophecies about the Messiah described a warrior who would deliver Israel from her enemies and then rule as king. This alternate understanding of the Messiah became the more popular one. It is the type of Messiah Jews expected in Jesus' day, which explains why he was rejected by so many and explains why Jews today have so much difficulty seeing Jesus as their Messiah. But there had been a time when the Messiah was expected to suffer for our sins before ruling as king. Here are some highlights from Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God. God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. In this same passage, we're told that the Messiah would not only suffer, he would also die. But he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Now get this. After his death, the Messiah will live again and rule. I'm still reading from the same chapter of Isaiah, chapter 53. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Okay, well that seems pretty fantastic to me, but naturally that's not enough for people and there are all kinds of objections. Here's the way the first one goes. If this prophecy is that obvious, why don't more people become Christians, especially Jews? Well, there are two standard objections to this passage and both of them come from the Jews. First, they say the original words of Isaiah did not contain these words. They were changed by the church. As you know, we have the Bible, Old and New Testament in a series of copies. We don't have the originals. So knowing 
we don't have the originals, it's very easy for people to speculate that in the times of transmission, it got changed. So the accusation here is that these were changed by the church to make it look like a fulfilled prophecy. Yes, Isaiah really lived. Yes, he really lived 700 years before Christ. Yes, he gave predictions. But the church went in and doctored all this up to make it look like it fit Jesus after it happened. Clever, right? Well, there's a little problem. My friends, the transmission of the Hebrew Old Testament text remained in the hands of the Jews, not the Christians. I have seen translations of this passage that the church never touched with a 10-foot pole. Even more compelling, the Dead Sea Scroll findings in 1947 produced another complete copy of the book of Isaiah. The date for this text is around 150 BC. That's before Christ. Are we also going to claim that the Christians tampered with that? However, the more standard objection from rabbis today is that Isaiah did in fact write these words, but that they have been interpreted incorrectly. Supposedly, Isaiah is sharing an allegory. The suffering servant is not one individual, but rather the entire nation of Israel suffering as scapegoats at the hands of the Gentiles. Okay, now... Prophets did at times speak of Israel as if the entire country were a single person. That's true. However, there are several problems with that interpretation in this particular case. First of all, Isaiah begins his discussion of the servant back in chapter 42. And as you know, I've mentioned this a lot of times before on this show, those original chapter and verse divisions were not there. That's for our reference. But as our reference point, we will go back to Isaiah chapter 42. Here is my servant whom I I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you, and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles. The discussion continues in chapter 49, where the servant is clearly distinguished from Israel by being someone who will minister to Israel. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has been my strength. He says it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Moving on in the chapters we see the role of the servant continuing as Israel's disobedience is described and the servant's faithfulness is described. Isaiah 50. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. This topic takes us all the way to Isaiah 52, where Isaiah continues talking about the special servant without offering any indication that he is changing the subject or introducing a different servant. Isaiah 52:13. See, my servant will act wisely. And of course, the controversial chapter 53 immediately follows. Before continuing, an observation is in order about the nature of ancient Hebrew prophecy, because you probably wondered about this while you were listening to me. The prophets often spoke in a poetic style, taking unusual licenses. You will notice that when talking about the servant in chapter 42, he was quoting God, and God is speaking of the servant in a third-person narrative. Then in 49, Isaiah has switched to a first-person narrative. Finally, in chapter 50 and 52, he returns to a third-person. That 
kind of switch back and forth was not unusual in those days, even though it may seem peculiar to our 21st century notions. In any event, we know that in both cases, even first person, Isaiah is not talking about himself as he describes a ministry that not only reaches out to Israel, but is also a light to the Gentiles, something that goes far beyond the scope of this personal history and ministry. Notice also that this outreach to Gentiles was not confined to the first person narrative. It is in the third person narrative as well, as we saw in chapter 42. Further evidence that Isaiah is portraying the servant as somebody other than himself is found in verses 5 through 6 of chapter 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Ladies and gentlemen, allow me to point out the obvious. Isaiah was a Jew, not a Gentile. Isaiah is saying, he was wounded for our transgressions. As you see, an honest literary criticism taking the entire context into consideration dispels the idea of Israel being the suffering servant suffering on behalf of the Gentiles. But there is another case to be made, one that should carry far more weight with today's Jews, or at least Jews who want to be honest with their own traditions. The ancient rabbis, for the most part, also viewed Isaiah 53 as a reference to the Messiah. Now, please understand, I personally do not accept the ancient commentaries as being authoritative, but Orthodox Jews do. For example, if you ask them why they don't make animal sacrifices today in obedience to the law of Moses, they will answer, because the rabbis have told us that without the temple, we do not have to make sacrifices. Now, I don't think that's a very good answer. After all, there was no temple from Moses through David, and yet sacrifice still went on those many years. But never mind. It's okay, because it tells us something about the credibility of the ancient rabbis in the minds of today's Jews. Well then, let's look at what the rabbis said about Isaiah 53. This is from the Targum, an Aramaic translation of the Hebrew Bible, referring to Isaiah 52, 13, quoting it and then giving commentary. Behold, my servant, the Messiah, shall prosper. Then he will beseech concerning our sins and our iniquities for his sake will be forgiven. This is from the Zohar, an ancient book of Jewish mysticism. The Messiah summons every pain and every chastisement of Israel. All of these come and rest upon him as it is written, surely our sicknesses he carried. Also from the Zohar, for you are wounded for the sins of the people as it is written, he was wounded because of our transgressions. Faithful shepherd says, it is said of me, they made his grave with the wicked. This next one is from the Midrash. All the sufferings of the world are divided into three parts. One of them is born by the Messiah. Another one from the Midrash. Submissive, and yet he promises salvation, describing the Messiah for when they laughed at him while he sat in prison, he submitted for the sake of Israel to the judgment imposed on him and is therefore properly called submissive. Why is he spoken of as yet he promises salvation? Because after submitting to the judgment for their sakes, he said, all of you deserve extermination. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, you will be saved, every one of you, by the mercy of the Holy One. Blessed be he. Here's another one from the Midrash. In the month of Nisan, in the year when the Messiah appears, the patriarchs will ask him whether he is displeased with Israel.
Israel because of the affliction he endured on their account. Another from the Midrash. At the time of the Messiah creation, the Holy One will tell him in detail what will befall him. There are souls that have been put away with thee under my throne, and it is their sins which will bend thee down under a yoke of iron and make thee like a calf whose eyes grow dim with suffering and will choke thy spirit as with a yoke because of the sins of these souls. Thy tongue will cleave to the roof of thy mouth. Art thou willing to endure such a thing? Sorry about all the these and thous. That's just a particular English translation I was reading from. And this next one is from the Talmud a section of the Talmud called Sanhedrin. For the sake of the Messiah, what is his, the Messiah's name? The rabbi said his name is the leper scholar. As it is written, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him a leper smitten of God and afflicted. Once again, an obvious reference to Isaiah 53. Now, catch this one. In the 11th century, the famous scribe Rashi changed the interpretation of Isaiah 53 to mean Israel. Rashi himself had once viewed the passage as a reference to the Messiah. We can go to his writings and see that for ourselves. But he had a habit of changing his views about Messianic passages to answer Christians who debated him, and he shamelessly admitted that he changed his position for exactly that reason. Observe his words on Psalm 21. Our rabbis interpret it as a reference to King Messiah. But it is correct to interpret it as a reference to David himself as a retort to the Christians who found it in support of their erroneous beliefs. Well, thank you for at least being honest about your motives, Rashi. Apparently, this confession about Psalm 21 is also revealing his change of heart about Isaiah 53. And so, to wrap this up in review, Isaiah comes to us from the hands of the Jews, not the Christians. An honest reading of the text tells us that this is a reference to the Messiah. Many commentaries of the ancient rabbis also viewed it as a reference to the Messiah. The very rabbi who made the modern interpretation so popular admitted his reason for making such changes. None of this negates the fact that Jesus will still return to deliver Israel from her enemies someday. He will come as a warrior and he will rule as king. In short, Jesus will do the second time what the Jews expected him to do the first time. He just had this little problem with our sin which had to be dealt with first. This is Bob Siegel making the obvious obvious. Bob Siegel Show podcast is a production of Bob Siegel and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash bob.